Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. I was sat in this room where I'm now with my partner, I started to say something to her, I thought quite normally, but obviously the words were coming out as gobbledygook. I was, first of all, thrombolized, um, that is given up an extreme blood thinner to try and clear the stroke, and that appeared to work. And I was conscious uh, at that point I could again move my right arm and right leg pretty much as normal, but then the stroke obviously hadn't quite finished with me. My right arm is almost at something like capacity. You know, I can move my shoulder and everything, all my joints in my right arm, but that has taken more or less, you know, four years of continuous hard work. I'd like to get back, I think, some more mental approaches. I've been so concentrated on getting myself physically recovered that I think it's now time to make some more space for my mental recovery. Hello, this is Stroke Stories, and I'm Mark Goodyear. In the UK, there are more than 100,000 strokes every year. That's about one every five minutes. £48 is spent on stroke research for each person in the UK who's had a stroke. That's about a fifth of the amount spent on cancer research and less than half of what is spent on dementia research. However, the financial burden on a family can be substantial. £22,000 is the average financial impact that a stroke can have on a victim and their loved ones. A stroke is often sudden and can be devastating, and these days, health services are very good with diagnosis and treatment. But after the stroke, many survivors say they can't find enough resources to help them while they recover. So we started Stroke Stories, the podcast, to seek out and to hear from stroke survivors. In this podcast, we hear from Chris Priestman, a university lecturer from Bristol who suffered a major stroke at the age of 57. I'm six foot one, I'm thin. Um, I've no indications of anything wrong with me. I was 57 at the time of my stroke. I was then a lecturer at Staffordshire University which meant that I travelled a lot because my home base is still in Bristol, if you see what I mean. So um, I travelled more or less every week up to Stoke and and back. I was completely ill-prepared, shall we say, for what happened to me on the 7th of June. I was at home. I'd eaten my tea at about quarter past eight in the evening. I was sat in this room where I'm now, 
with my partner, I started to say something to her, I thought quite normally, but obviously the words were coming out as gobbledygook, and she noticed my face had dropped a bit, and I pretty soon realised that I couldn't move on my right side, and she knew it was a stroke immediately, I think, and phoned an ambulance, and they fortunately were pretty close so they turned up I lost consciousness and um, I was rushed into the um, BRI the Bristol Central Hospital I was first of all thrombolized um, that is given up an extreme blood thinner to try and clear the stroke and that appeared to work and I was conscious uh, at that point, uh, I could again move my right arm and right leg pretty much as normal, but then the stroke obviously hadn't quite finished with me, and um, it proceeded, you know, after the thrombolysis, so left me paralysed down my right side. I was in the Bristol Central Health Authority for about a week where they kept me under close observation I mean you know it's a serious stroke and then I went to a rehabilitation hospital for three weeks where I started to undergo physiotherapy and um, occupational therapy it's difficult to explain I think to people who haven't experienced it obviously I pretty soon realized that I couldn't carry on with my job so I was forced to retire and The process of rehabilitation was and is ongoing. So your evaluation of time just becomes completely concentrated on your body, well, it did in my case, so that any small regaining of ability in any part of my right side took a long, long, long time. My main message, I think, to anyone out there who's sort of got similar symptoms, really, that with persistence and bloody-mindedness, I think, you can make an enormous amount of recovery. For instance, when I got home, that is the month after the stroke, I was still sleeping downstairs. I couldn't move my right arm at all except for the little finger on my right hand. I could just about stand from a wheelchair with a stick. And, you know, now I'm free from the stick. I can walk more or less indefinitely. My right arm is almost something like capacity. You know, I can move my shoulder and everything. But that has taken more or less, you know, four years of continuous hard work. For Chris, one of the most difficult consequences of the stroke to deal with was his aphasia, which affected his speech. It's incredibly frustrating, yeah. I realised that I couldn't um, interact with students anymore because I can't think quick enough now to hold a normal conversation with a group of people. That's probably about the worst thing that I experience now. I think the words are there somewhere in in that my thought processes I think are more or less intact but it takes an awful lot of concentration 
just to get the words out, if you see what I mean. My partner, Meg, I can't thank her enough. She has been with me all the time and uh, whatever ups and downs I've been through, she's continued to treat me, you know, as normally as possible. Not as an invalid, but as a, a normal person. And I think, you know, partly her ability to do that has, you know, had a significant impact on my recovery. Despite battling through his recovery, Chris found that he was so wrapped up in getting back to his normal self, he didn't have time to stop and properly consider the stroke and its after-effects. Just uh, simply the belief, I suppose, that I can make the best of this that I can. It was a full-time job, you know. I managed to have enough just about to live on in a pension beyond that i go to a gym twice a week i go swimming once a week i have another class with different strokes here in bristol i volunteer plus recovery from each of those things you know so just sitting and recovering your physical shape it's a full-time job so i didn't really think i had much to worry about i know that sounds a bit strange when you think of the effect that a stroke can have but in my case i don't think i particularly um felt anything other than determination people with stroke are supposed to go through you know periods of depression or be very prone to periods of depression that's not something i think i've experienced So I'm very grateful for that. I've just been focused on getting on and doing what I can to get back to some kind of normality. I know I'm not going to get back to complete normality, but, you know, doing the best that I can. Other people I know do get very, very depressed and, you know, stop doing the physiotherapy and occupational therapy and all the rest of it that you need to do. I think that's a a great problem for many people, partly because actually in hospital consultants are reluctant to make your prospects sound too good, if you see what I mean. They sort of underplay how you might recover because, you know, obviously they don't want to disappoint you, but I think they could set their sights higher. There's a tendency, I mean, it's it's no more than a tendency, but to think that after six months, then you're not going to get any better. Um, that's understandable because, you know, you in hospital, they, they won't see you after a month or, or however long it is. You know, I think um, just some more work about giving people more hope, I think, might be helpful. I left hospital after a month with what we have here in Bristol and I think in other parts of the country as well with the early release team, uh, as they're they're called, the ESD team. And they came here to my house every day, except weekends, for about an hour or two and and worked with me on my physiotherapy, on my ability to eventually get up and get out. That lasted for about nine weeks, I think. I was fortunate in that. (laughs) 
And then there were a couple of visits also from what's called the Community Health Team, which is based in Bristol City Council as opposed to the NHS. And they also helped me a bit. I mean, not very much, but, you know, a bit. The best thing that they did for me was um, they took me swimming, which I wanted to do. But beyond that, after six months, I had to just think, well, what am I going to do? Because the official help has run out. And then I you know, started to look around for particularly different strokes. And what we have in Bristol is uh, Bristol After Stroke as well. They're voluntary organisations. I think I've been extremely lucky. You know, I have some criticisms about how it just stopped for me but it stopped after you know quite a long time i've done you know some research that the provision for stroke in general across the country is just extremely patchy extremely patchy again i was fortunate in i think being in this part of bristol that i got the support that i did if i'd been in Western Supermare example, you know, just down the road, I would have got very little of that support. Rebuilding his life after stroke, Chris was lucky to be able to participate in recovery schemes and aftercare at home. Still to come on this episode of Stroke Stories, Chris talks about future plans. The one thing that I can't do at the moment is make any attempt to run. And I would like very much to be able to run even just a few steps. And he says that the most important thing is to take time with your recovery. You have to rethink how long anything takes now that you've had the stroke. You can't rush it. Let's hear how Chris is taking an active role in helping to improve support for stroke survivors in his local area. I'm a, you know, a patient representative on a number of panels in this region and you know, we're trying to work out the nuts and bolts of how the service should be improved and I think by 2020 anyway, the chances are it probably will be improved. The NHS in the Bristol area are in the process of reorganising the stroke pathway, that is everyone from immediately before they have the stroke through to rehabilitation and um, onwards. And they are reorganising what they offer, partly because of new technologies in the what's called the hyperacute end of stroke, that is in the first sort of 72 hours of the stroke happening. And then you know, right the way through to the acute services, that is the services up to sort of an average of, of seven days after the stroke and on to rehabilitation wherever that happens. Basically what they're trying to do is have more of the rehabilitation happening at home as opposed to in hospital than now and also, you know, streamline it a bit and make it more so that they don't just stop. At the moment, there are very few places that keep a check on you. And so they're now thinking in terms of a six-month review 
and a year's review and two years review. And looking back on his stroke, Chris reflects on how far he's come. I feel like I've come a, a, a long way and, you know, perhaps more than many people or some people would have come, I think. There are a number of things that I'm eternally grateful for. One is, I think, my own disposition. You know, before I had the stroke, I was quite a determined character anyway, and I think that has had an effect. You know, I'm, shall we say, psychologically quite well-equipped. I think having a partner that's extremely supportive is invaluable, and I feel very, very sorry for people that are trying to manage it on their own or indeed, you know, who have have breakups as a result of the stroke. You know, I think I've come a long way. The one thing that I can't do at the moment is make any attempt to run. And I would like very much to be able to run even just a few steps that seems a very small and trivial thing, but um, four and a half years after the stroke, I, I'm a lot closer to it than I was, put it that way. I'd like to get back, I think, some more mental approaches. Uh, I've been so concentrated on getting myself physically recovered that I think it's now time to make some more space for my mental recovery. And Chris believes you should take your time during recovery. My advice really would be either for a stroke sufferer or a carer is that you have to rethink how long anything takes now that you've had the stroke. You can't rush it. There's an awful lot you can do, but none of it is over in you know a matter of weeks or even months. And as long as you can bear that in mind I think that will go a long way to seeing you right you just have to be aware that to rebuild or to build from scratch some links between what goes on in your brain and getting those impulses to the muscles in your body that takes a lot of conscious and very very long-term work and it is work if you can think in those terms you'll go a long way to recovery chris's strength and self-belief has helped him make an incredible recovery and he continues to help others through his advocacy for change in stroke aftercare services in his hometown of bristol If you're listening to this podcast and have had a stroke or somebody close to you has and you'd like to learn more, search for The Stroke Association online. And for a dedicated NHS page, search for NHS Strokes. If you're listening to our podcast on iTunes, please subscribe, rate and comment to help us spread the word. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening. Thank you.
Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.